another episode of the Main Quest Podcast. This is of course der Retro Gaming Podcast Nummer 1, der furchtlos in die Hauptstadt des Feindes eindringend. As always, I am your host Keith, and I had to very cleverly use Google Translate here for whatever this intro was, otherwise my deceased fluent German grandmother would have risen from the grave to strangle me. Uh, but yes, this uh, very Germanic intro was brought to you by Ryan, because today he picked the topic of today's episode. It is, in fact, the final game of Player vs. Podcast. The second year of Listener Request Month is nearing its end. But no worries, because barring uh, any act of God, uh, it should return next year, and you will once again have a shot at having me play your favorite video games, or your most hated ones. Maybe your favorite is something I'll hate, or the one you hate will end up being my favorite. There's really no telling. But of the two years that I've done this, I've played seven games I've had no familiarity with, except this one. So, technically six. Why don't we get into my personal history with Einhander? So Final Fantasy VII was a big deal, right? I had already been familiar with Squaresoft even prior to Final Fantasy VII, but it was their RPGs that I was interested in. It wasn't Front Mission, not even Tobal, not even the Final Fantasy VII demo disc could get me to check Tobal out. Uh, not Boshido Blade either. And definitely not Einhander. I think I'm pretty upfront with you guys when it comes to telling you what genres I'm not really fond of. And shmups are one of those. I mean, I covered Airzonk, man, like two years ago at this point? Man. And I probably said it a dozen times in that episode that shmups just, they're not my thing. I'm not into them. And it's because I'm bad at them. I always have been. So when Einhander came, when Einhander came out, not only did I not want to play it because it, it was a shooter, but it was a shooter that Square made, which you would think would have piqued my interest even just slightly be, because of who they were, but it didn't. Whenever a company is acclaimed as Square, genre jumped and produced something that was outside what they were known for, it just wasn't anything I was really that interested in. But then in 2004, there was a Hollywood video, it was going out of business, and I found Einhander in a bin for like $5, which is about $80 cheaper than what a loose disc goes for now because people aren't criminals. They all belong in jail. All of you collectors. Well, I shouldn't say all of you collectors, but all the ones that are just keeping your stuff so you can just sell it later on. But yeah, I hated this game. I hated it because, again, I was bad at it. I always maintained it was cool, though, but I did always think it was kind of cool. And that it did some really interesting things graphically that other shooters just weren't really doing. I just sucked 
I was just really bad at it. And then I actually played it last summer, probably because I was I was probably talking to Ryan about it, or maybe it got brought up on list off and something just hearing them talk about it. I was like, yeah, I want to go back to this. And I played it. And I was still bad at it. But I still thought it was really cool. So here we are now. And guess what? You might already know what it is. <laughs> but none of that really matters because I'm here talking about uh, this game in particular because Ryan wanted me to play this and talk about it. So let's hear what he has to say about his personal history. Quote, if you were to ask 100 average gamers what your favorite square game from the what what is your favorite square game from the 90s, there would be overwhelming answers of Final Fantasy 6 or 7 with some Chrono Trigger sprinkled in there and maybe a Super Mario RPG or two from the Super Nerds. Excuse you. But I'm not <laughs> I'm not sure there would be a single reply of Einhander. In fact, many of those gamers may not have ever even heard of the title. Admittedly, I once stumbled across the game by pure luck. But one fateful day circa the late 90s, my sister had a few friends over and one of them brought their PlayStation along with a new game that they had rented to play Einhander. <laughs> that certainly didn't spike the audio. It's in all capitals, guys. I gotta read it. I was lucky, though, that on this day, they allowed me to hang out and watch them play. Instantly, I was awestruck. The fast-paced gameplay mixed with slick visuals and a thumping soundtrack immediately made me want to rent the game and play it for myself, which is exactly what I did a few days later. Without getting too deep on uh, my personal feelings for the game, the short time I had with Einhander made such an impression that it became one of those titles I found myself thinking about on a regular basis even decades later. The memories of Einhander ended up being the driving force behind me buying a modded PS Classic console. I dropped that dose solely to play this game again, and you know what? I have zero regrets. So, Keith, he's calling me out, shit. While I am interested in hearing your upcoming thoughts on the game, I truly hope you enjoy playing Einhander. Auf Wiedersehen. End quote. Ryan, thanks. Thanks for sharing that. Quite the difference in experiences, and I know Ryan well enough that he loves these tough as nails video games because that man is indeed tough as nails after all he did make me play fester's quest last year but is this game fester's quest it's a horrible teaser i don't know why i said that of course it's not fucking fester's quest <laughs> let's talk about the game now Einhander is a shoot-'em-up developed by Squaresoft, published by Squaresoft in Japan, and Sony Computer Entertainment in Japan. As seems to be the trend this month, so it shouldn't come to a surprise when I tell you that there really isn't a lot of info out there on the development of this game. But it doesn't mean I don't have some context to share. Some of it 
firsthand, some of it conjecture. But up top here, I already alluded to Square being the RPG powerhouse in the 90s, and even Ryan mentioned it in, in his personal history. And it took them a long time to get to that position. I don't know if I really talked about the company much when I did my episode on Final Fantasy. I can't, my memory does not go back that far. I don't, once the episodes are out, I don't listen to them. But <laughs> Squaresoft themselves started off as a an electronics company. And like most Japanese companies in the 70s that dabbled in that sort of business, they were like, hey, we should make video games. And they did. And they weren't great, nor were any of them RPGs. They were actually just kind of throwing darts at the wall to see what what was going to stick and what they should make next. But I do know what I probably talked about in that Final Fantasy episode is that Final Fantasy, a game that happened to be an RPG, basically gave the company a lifeline. And from there on out, they were just the company that made really good RPGs. And that lasted for quite a while until they split with Nintendo. And that split came mostly because Nintendo were the biggest bullies in the market at the time. They were aggressively taking other companies to court over business agreements. Their consoles were becoming increasingly more expensive to develop on. And when it was announced that the N64, which was part of that problem, was still going to use cartridge technology, most of their third-party developers were just like, fuck this mess. Nintendo, we will get back at you when you get your shit together. And Squaresoft was among those companies. So with Sony having their backs, especially after how successful Final Fantasy VII was, Squaresoft not only had the confidence and support of Sony, but also the cash to do whatever the hell they wanted. And just like their early days, they were throwing darts at the board. Some of these ideas were great. Others, not so much. I was on uh, Retro Wars last month and I talked about Air Guys, which was one of the many, many fighting games developed by Square at the time. I said something on that podcast that I think holds true to Einhander as well in that like all of these experimental games, a lot of them seem like full-fledged realized ambitious forms of the mini games of Final Fantasy 7. Now when you look at Final Fantasy 7, when you look at what they crammed into that game, you had action mini games, you had racing mini games, puzzle games. I think the addition of all of that ancillary stuff probably tipped the scales for Sony and being like, yeah, maybe these guys can make something worthwhile that isn't buried within an RPG. And if that's the case, I mean, thank God that they have the ability to do so, because after Final Fantasy VII, the following games in that franchise were very, very light on the minigames in comparison. Uh, unless you like cards. I hope you like cards. <laughs> Better than fucking Blitzball. <laughs> so they went from being an RPG company to... Basically, what I would say, uh, being in like an audio visual company, you know, the stuff they were doing on the 32 bit hardware was insane at the time. And this is kind of something I've been like thumping around my head for at least 
like a year and a half now. It's really something I've been wanting to talk about on like a separate episode uh, in which uh, I kind of dedicate to what Square was doing graphically back in those days. I just don't really know how to put that kind of stuff into where I'm stumbling around it now. And I would also have to do the legwork to find a few people to do that with. So, hey, if you're a podcaster and you know early Squaresoft and have a particular interest in the 32-bit era and where Squaresoft took things after that, you know how to get a hold of me. This era of Square really did seem to push the boundaries of what video games could look like. And I think it it pressured a lot of direct competition to make their games just as cinematic as theirs, even if they didn't scratch the surface of the quality that Squaresoft was turning out. Hopefully all of this ranting at least gives you guys a little bit of context of what the landscape looked like and what all parties involved were thinking when creating the game, even if I don't have a actual, a factual rather, a factual narrative to give to you guys. So the game was directed by Tatsuo Fuji, and the soundtrack was composed by Kanichiro Fukui. Einhander was released in November 1997 in Japan and May 1998 worldwide for the PlayStation. This is another rare game that, once it was released, didn't get ported to anything. It lived and it died on the PlayStation. Review scores for context. Famitsu, 31 out of 40. GameSpot, 7.9 out of 10. Edge Magazine, 8 out of 10. Game Informer, 8 out of 10. All Game, 4 out of 5. IGN, 9 out of 10. And EGM, 9.25 out of 10. So yeah, I mean, we're looking at some really, really good scores. Wide acclaim across the board here, including the incredibly malicious Famitsu. (laughs) I mean, they still gave it the lowest score out of the bunch here. Still a good score, though. Hey everyone, this is Chris Copleen from the Retro Hangover Podcast. Right now, we are running a series called The King of Games 1992 that features Keith from the Main Quest Podcast. The show you're listening to right now is one of our guest members. All the big games of 1992 worldwide clash to claim superiority of classic gaming and nostalgia. Come over to our show, which you can find on any podcast hosting service of your choice, or go to linktree slash retro hangover, linktr.ee slash retro hangover, and see who takes the crown for the most most important game from the year 1992. 
So let's talk about this story. The story, right? This is a Squaresoft ass Squaresoft story. Old habits die hard. In a nutshell, the Earth and Moon are at war with each other. Can you believe it? <laughs> I was kind of like, what? That's like the first line of the game. Uh, it seems that at some point, most of the planet decided to make a pilgrimage to the moon. Which sidebar. But does it bother anybody? Is it? Is it just me? It might just be me. But does it bother anyone else that our moon doesn't have a name? It's just called the moon. Moon. All the other planets have cool fucking names for their moons. Which I guess you could just have called celestial bodies. Our moon could have just been called celestial body. I mean, I doesn't roll off the tongue, I guess. But like, like look at these other, like you got uh, Phobos, Callisto, Oberon, Europa, and we've got Moon. Just Moon. Anyway, so I guess the people that were left on Earth were like, man, the Moon sucks. What a stupid fucking name. I agree. <laughs> and decided to go to war with them. Which isn't the first time. I guess this is the second or third time that this has happened. Not sure what happened the first two times. Uh, but we're fighting on the side of the saltine-ass moon as one of the best pilots to uh, infiltrate Earth's defenses, destroy their armies, and take their resources. Which culminates in us destroying a nuke at the end of the game that is launched at the moon. And that's also the point in which the game kind of branches off into into two different endings. That entire mission is timed, and if you fail to destroy the nuke in time, I guess Earth is fucked. Because, I mean, technically we depend on the moon. Like, I, this is kind of a short-sighted plan on their side, I suppose. But also, if this happens, the Einhander which I believe is the name of the ship, by the way, gets surrounded, gets shot down, and you die. Roll credits. The other ending, if you do shoot the nuke down, is the moon is saved. Earth is ravaged. And the moon's military informs us that it has been documenting and compiling combat data on the Einhander during its mission. They took that data trained their unmanned crafts and machines to learn from it and turn their forces against Einhander because they're afraid that we have become too powerful. So at that point, the game actually continues and we have one last mission where it's like this really elaborate, tough as fucking shit boss that you have to fight at the end. Um, and it sends Einhander on a kamikaze mission to destroy the moon's forces as well. And all of this is told through cutscenes, really well thought out, well directed cutscenes, and through voice messages uh, that occur between stages when, when you beat the stage. It's a simple narrative, and I think for what the game is, it's pretty effective. I didn't need it, I didn't ask for it. <laughs> but when the tables turn at the end, I, I did kind of have that like, oh shit moment. Like I was like, oh man, okay. I, I like the little twist at the end. 
I like that neither side wins. But I have already mentioned that I suck at shoot 'em ups. I've already mentioned that this game is very hard a few times at this point. So let's get into the gameplay. The gameplay for Einhander is its most interesting aspect. I think if this was any other shmup, there wouldn't be too much to say. Because just about every shmup is identical in every single way. Can't change my mind. Call me a game racist. Go ahead. Don't do that. I should probably take that out. <laughs> Full disclosure, uh, also, by the way, I I went into the options first, as I do with every single game that I ever play. And I changed the difficult, difficulty setting to easy. And even in doing so, I found the game way too difficult. So believe me when I tell you, I suck at shooters. I'm really bad. So once you start the game, you also have a choice between three different ships, which also alters the difficulty slightly because each ship is offensively different in that it offers up how much weapon management you need to do. So for example, the ship I chose is the default ship. Each ship has two modes of fire. You have a basic turret that has unlimited ammo, and you can just basically hold down square to fire this continually just like every other shmup out there. Your secondary fire is based on items you pick up from destroying enemy ships. Essentially, every major enemy you encounter has something mounted on them, and once those enemies are destroyed, their weapon flies up so you can go up and catch it, otherwise it just slowly descends until it's off screen. With the default ship, you can hold up to three secondary weapons and have a, uh, which have a finite amount of ammo. So, unlike your regular gun, you don't necessarily want to hold down X to keep firing these because you need to manage your ammo. Though, of course, there's going to be times where you will want to do that, which is mainly when you are getting swamped with enemies uh, or on bosses, if you've got enough ammo for bosses. The other ships differ in that one only allows you to carry one secondary weapon, but the trade-off is that your main weapon is much stronger and the bullets are just a little bit wider. And to be honest, had I known this going into the game, this may have been the ship for me, because having to manage three different weapons, on top of keeping track of everything that was happening on screen, was a huge point of frustration for me. The other ship, the last one here, gets rid of that main turret altogether, and you will just be using two secondary weapons, which I suppose secondary is the wrong term for that but you only have two of the limited ammo pickup weapons on you which like i i can't imagine that's any fun for me it, it wouldn't be any fun at least but i guess if you're like a hardened veteran like a shmup connoisseur a big shooting motherfucker <laughs> maybe that shit would be for you but the uh the ammo management is a different concept compared to other shooters at the time because games like R-Type or Gradius, they all depend on progressive power-ups, wherein the more power-ups you grab, the stronger your weapon becomes, right? So for instance, you might start out with generic bullets and you pick something up and your bullets turn into a spread shot. And then you pick up another power-up 
And now you're fucking firing lightning lightning bullets uh, out of your guns. In Einhander, the weapons you pick up stay the same. What you need to do is to make sure you keep the loadout you want. The loadout that is your preferred method of getting through the game, since the more of the weapon you pick up, the more ammo you get for that weapon. You really have to understand your weapon loadouts here. And you have to understand the weapon drops themselves to get the most out of this game. Otherwise, you're just going to have a brutal time getting through it. If you happen to pick up another weapon type on accident, it will replace your current weapon, which could definitely mess everything up if your loadout was dependent on it. Or worst case scenario, you pick up a brand new weapon that doesn't complement your loadout at all, or is just not useful in the least. And I'm looking at you, Spreadshot. But like a roguelike, every weapon has a purpose to serve. So even though I do think the Spreadshot is completely useless, which is a very strange thing to say, especially when in you know the history of video games, the Spreadshot is usually the most OP weapon of any video game. Maybe, maybe you could find a use for the Spreadshot. It's just, it's never suited my needs. But every, every weapon has its place in this game. Now, once you run out of ammo for these weapons, they do drop from your ship and you have an open spot on your ship for another weapon. Another cool thing that this game does is allow you to change the position of your turrets on the ship. So pressing circle cycles between placing your gun at the bottom or the top of your ship, which often has different effects as well. So for instance, if you have the Vulcan, it changes the angle at which it fires. Or better yet, another good example, if you have the spread shot, <laughs> when it's at the bottom of the ship, it fires directly in front of you. And if it's on top, it fires in back of you. So if any of this sounds fun to you, great. Good. I'm happy for you. But I would have been better off selecting that other ship, honestly, because this is a lot to manage for me in a game in which I think the ship is a little bit too big for what's happening on screen and moves a little bit too slow for my taste. Now, again, hey, red flags. I'm no shooter aficionado, and I obviously admitted how bad I am at them. So take that criticism with those things in mind. But the maneuverability of the ship honestly feels really sluggish to me in comparison to the other shooters at the time. I don't know if that's because this game is in 2.5D, so there's more stuff going on during the missions, or what the matter may be. And the best example I have in which I found the ship too large, uh, which I think it is, is during the third and f fourth boss fights uh they're they're back to back they're they're back to back so i'm not sure if it's a mini boss and a main boss or if it was a main boss and then a mini boss either way uh i can't remember either way both of these bosses jump and they jump around to either side of the screen and i found myself stuck with no alternate way of avoiding this other than hugging the far upper corner of the screen and having to make sure my secondary turret was on top of the ship so that it didn't snap off. Otherwise, all other avenues 
all their maneuvers, I, I should say, uh, end up having me killed. Which also adds to how difficult this game is, right? Because this is a one-hit KO affair. If one single bullet hits you, or you crash into an enemy, it's over. Now, the game has checkpoints, so that's great. It feels all right. But as someone who already finds these games difficult, it was still incredibly frustrating. There is a little bit of a trade-off, though, and it's a risky one. Your secondary turret can serve as a free hit. If an enemy hits your secondary weapon, and only your secondary weapon, it will take the hit for you, but you lose the weapon. It's it's kind of a neat mechanic, and I did end up having to use it out of desperation more times than I would like to admit, but then it also left me with a weaker loadout sometimes. So, again, it's a risky trade-off there. I think there are only really two final things I want to hit on here. I want to bring the bosses up, but that means I'll also have to talk about the camera perspectives, so... Um, I was going to bring that up in graphics, but screw it. I love the change of perspective here. For the most part, the game does seem like your ordinary side-scrolling shmup, but periodically and during most boss fights, the camera changes to almost like a third-person over-the-shoulder perspective. Not quite that far, but pretty, but pretty close. It doesn't change up the gameplay that much. Uh, I did find it a little harder to really know what I was aiming at, but it still works. And of course, all of this becomes a huge showcase at the very end of the game when you're flying around space and you're fighting that final boss. It's actually that that entire end set piece with that final boss is incredibly disorienting and a, a technical marvel at the same time. It's uh so it makes it so annoying. It's so annoying because it's so cool, but also I wanted to throw up. Uh, but the bosses themselves are interesting because it's not like our type where you have to just look at the enemy's bullet pattern and keep shooting the boss. This has like it has some of that, but for the most part, you're actually looking at the boss because it informs it informs you what attack is coming up next. You have to read the actual boss instead of its patterns. And they feel more like enemies that can be interacted with. Because there's nothing more satisfying than realizing where one of their attacks is coming from and blasting off the component in which that attack is coming from and then they can no longer use that on you. It feels so fucking good. So the the other thing I found out doing... Uh, my research was that this game has bonus objectives in each stage. The game doesn't tell you about them. They seem to be something you can find just by being really good at the game and doing multiple playthroughs. Uh, they're actually very similar to Star Fox 64, where once you complete the objective, sometimes a new path will open up and it will lead you down a different corridor of the level. And by the end of the mission, you actually unlock a new weapon that isn't offered to you until much later in the game, which is a, it's a great incentive to expert players and would make the game a lot more fun to play on multiple playthroughs. I think they just need to signpost that stuff a little bit better. You know, I, I brought up Star Fox 64, and they don't necessarily tell you how to open up different 
routes in that game. But every time that world map pops up, you see all the planets or, or the stages that are in the game, but you don't know how to get to them. So they, they give you all the information you need to know that there's more game to play, but you have to keep replaying the game to figure it out. Or I don't know, I guess just use a fucking guide. It's 2023. My podcast is redundant when you think about it. What are we even doing? since my last sale. Why did I set up a merch table here? I don't even have any listeners in Raccoon City. I guess I should be thankful that guy in those really cool sunglasses let me use his house. Hey! Oh god, finally! Customers! I was beginning to think everyone in this house was dead or something. What is this? What are you doing in this place? Well, I'm just here selling main quest merchandise from redbubble.com forward slash people forward slash main quest pod what are you guys doing out here <laughs> you must be from the bravo team bravo team what no 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 i'm i'm just a i'm a podcaster i'm from the main just qu- a moment i found something what is it that uh that that's a uh resident evil series themed tote bag the house on that artwork looks suspiciously familiar but, um, yeah, I've also got pins, stickers, and themed phone cases that you can store in that thing just in case you run out of inventory slots. You saved my life. I owe you one. <laughs> hey, let's, uh, hey, let's not get dramatic, okay? You, you don't owe me anything. But if you do feel like supporting the show, all of the funds feed directly back into the podcast so I can keep putting out great content and even more designs. And the best thing about Redbubble is not only are they print-on-demand, but your quality merch will arrive in no time at all. He's insane! Whoa! Let me take care of this. And yeah, as you can see, there's even a selection of shirts for the beefiest of boys like Mr. Redfield over here. (laughs) Thank you. That site again is redbubble.com forward slash people forward slash main quest pod or just visit the link in the show notes. Well, I guess I can pack it up for tonight, but how the hell am I going to get through these locked doors? Here's a lockpick. It might be handy if you, the master of unlocking, take it with you. Since I already mentioned the 2.5D perspective, there isn't too much I want to talk about when it comes to the graphics. 
I think Square learned from I think Square learned a lot from what they did on Final Fantasy VII. They stepped up their game here. I love the Blade Runner aesthetics of the first stage. And if that isn't something that's going to draw you in into the game, I'm not sure the rest of it's going to. Uh, this definitely has a very strong Y2K vibe. And the subtle escalation of, of the environments ranging, again, from that Blade Runner-esque cityscape to infiltrating space bases and ship carriers to chasing a rocket into outer space gives a ton of a uh, ton of variety and it never gets dull or old to look at now with that said my main gripe with the environments but also i guess this is just my gripe in general with uh shoot 'em ups is that there's just a little too much going on i could maybe give this game a break if the backgrounds weren't so detailed and busy and it was just all the bullets scattered all over the place but you put both of these things together and now i'm having trouble seeing just exactly what i need to avoid and what is just set dressing and the ships the einhanders cool as hell really really cool i don't know what the term is for this so i'm i'm going to stumble I'm going to stumble around trying to talk about this. If it's something you know, if you know what this term is, if you know what I'm talking about, just shout it out loud at nobody in particular. I'm not going to hear it. But there's this thing in illustration. It's like a practice. It's a practice when designing a character. That if you want your character to be memorable, you make sure it has a unique silhouette. This is why, like all of those, Who's that Pokemon? Uh, segments in the Pokemon anime worked so well because those designs have memorable silhouettes and the Einhanders have this and they're ships. They're not even technically characters. They're spaceships. They have a sleek, elegant design. They kind of look like birds with giant guns attached to them. It's like if Americans could breed an eagle to have guns on it. We would do it. It's it's in my blood, I guess. <laughs> To think, to think the Einhanders look as good as they are, even though I'm of Earth. This is a, this is a moon design. <laughs> Fucking from the moon. So the music for Einhander, it's all right. It's all techno. And if you didn't listen to my Silent Bomber episode, I basically said techno isn't my thing. So I'm not really the one to ask if the soundtrack is great or not. It's all right. It's fine. But I think what Einhander does that Silent Bomber doesn't is have dynamic audio. I shouldn't say dynamic. Uh, the audio is scripted. But the way the music transitions from the regular stage music into the boss music is done so seamlessly. It's so good. And then once the boss is defeated, you have a little lull in the action, a little bit of a calm before the storm before that, you know, the game tosses you back into the melee. And then the stage music starts up again out of nowhere. Well, not out of nowhere. I mean, it's it's just done so well. It fades in so great. It's seamless. Again, it's seamless. It's, it's the word. It's never taking you out of the action while being repetitive. And that is something I really appreciated. What I don't appreciate is Square's insistence on avoiding... Redbook audio in this era. 
the quality of the music here just isn't great. And this isn't this isn't just an issue with Einhander. Most of, if not all of their games on the PlayStation used a streaming technique so that they could turn around and sell you a CD with the higher quality music on it. Like in this period of time, Square was just really dabbling in distribution as a side hustle, which has obviously stuck with them since they're like playing the stonks game and injecting NFTs into everything that they do. And depending on who you are, I guess that's great for you. I hope you're happy. It happens to them all, right? First Konami, now Square Enix. My childhood is dead. this here it's gone on a little longer than i expected it to uh so i won't keep you much longer here but the question is would i recommend checking out einhander in 2023 so i respect this game it does all the stuff it does fine and executes it flawlessly you know it's not your typical bullet hell shooter and the game really encourages you to experiment with the toolbox that they give to you and the graphics uh i think are some of the best on the playstation the cinematics definitely carry that square soft seal of quality that you would expect and it only helps by the fact that there are no human characters in this game and the the transitions between stages make it seem like you are really just on this long mission to destroy earth and the plot itself I mean, I think it's kind of neat. Even if there isn't a lot there, you don't need a lot there. It tells its story very well within the gameplay, and I like that. But personally, as a whole, I this game just, it's not for me. I didn't think I would have even beat this at enough time to get this episode out. But I figured it out. Unfortunately, I just didn't have fun doing it. I think a lot of shooters wear me down. I remember when I talked about Airzonk saying how that wore me down at, at the end, especially because they give you a fucking boss rush at the end of that game. Then on top of that, you add the item management aspect of the game. And I'm not only having panic attacks trying to avoid enemy fire and the enemies themselves, but then I'm also frantically moving my fingers all over the controller trying to make sure I'm picking up the right items, switching up the turret types, and managing where the guns need to be placed on my ship, and I was ready to crack the fucking controller in half. But if shooters or shmups, or whatever you want to call them, if these are your thing, if this is your genre, if that's what gets your day started and your boners humming, this game is built on the basic foundations of things like Gradius or R-Type, and it turns it on its head a little bit and does something really does some really interesting stuff that I think you're probably going to dig. So, 
I would give Einhander a light recommend. So that's it. Ryan, you son of a bitch. If your games get picked next year, I'm calling the fucking police. <laughs> or if at least you could, I don't know, pick something like, I don't give me Stray. Give me, I'll play fucking Stray again. It's literally a walking simulator with a cat. I can do that. I can play that. Uh, I just give me something easy. Uh, but I, I guess, you know, I guess, hey, thanks to you, I probably wouldn't even respect Einhander as much as I do had I not given it a full playthrough. So I guess, I guess thanks for that. But uh, that's it. That's it, folks. Another year of player versus podcast is behind us. And I already can't wait to find out what I have to play next year. Speaking of that, if you go to patreon.com forward slash the main quest and sign up at the $7 level, you will have special access to a separate pool of drawings for next year's listener request month. And, and if you don't know Ryan, you know, the, the guy that made me play this game, this fucking godforsaken game, he used to host list off and now he's hosting the main quest matinee with me which you also get at the $7 tier on top of a whole bunch of other things like two other exclusive shows. You get all of that. You get all of that with $7. What are you even going to do with $7? You may, you may as well just give it to me. It has real, no real other use. Honestly, you know what else you get if you sign up for at least just a dollar? Just a dollar at patreon.com forward slash the main quest. Well, you're going to get next week's episode early ad free as well. I mean, if you if you do that, it's technically not next week's episode because it's going to come out on Thursday for you. The Thursday that you are hearing this. It's only a few days. And what is that episode? Neil from MK PodQuest and I are talking about one of the most important Sega games easily easily more influential than sonic it's not even up for debate it's the one the only mortal Kombat. so until then i thank you so much for listening take care of yourselves and always remember it is okay to like a video game
It is pronounced Einhander. I did the research. The umlauts mean that it is a flat A, in case you've been saying this entire time. I'm pronouncing it wrong. I'm pronouncing it right, damn it. I'm a professional. <laughs>